Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm not a doctor, obviously, but I'm her mom. And I really feel that the chemotherapy is killing her faster than the cancer is. Michelle. Hi, Carling. How are you? Good. How are you? We're never as graceful when we record remotely. I know. Um, We don't have our faces to stare at each other. I'm also distracted by that picture behind you. Is it crooked or is it just like the way the computer is? I think it's just the way the computer is. Okay. That's fine. (laughs) For those listening, I'm at Lindsay's house and you're at your house and we have the video feature on. Yeah. And you're distracted by my background. I have a real problem with pictures when they're crooked. And even at my husband's funeral, there was a picture on the wall that was crooked and I had to fix it. Oh my God. I'm just like, hey, can you just, just pause real quick while I just do, do, do. Okay. Thanks. I'm like, I'm just going to be distracted by this picture the whole time. Could I just fix this? <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. Yeah, I'm good. It's kind of, I was supposed to work all weekend. And so we didn't have any recordings planned. Yeah. But because it was like a big community event for culture days and because COVID is just running rampant through our province. Yeah. And yeah, all like the healthcare system is virtually collapsing. Collapsing. Uh, We just decided (laughs) we probably shouldn't hold a big community event and we shouldn't Mm -hmm. promote a bunch of people gathering. So it worked out pretty well because in the end, it was been rainy all weekend, so that yeah. would have been horrible to work outside. Yeah, for and sure. And my cousin came to town to go to a wedding, and so I'm dog-sitting her dog, and then Lindsay's ex-husband went out of town, actually, for another wedding, not the same wedding. Oh, that'd be um, weird. And so, yeah, and so she's looking after his ginormous legs-for-days 10-month-old puppy. Aw. And so I'm hanging out at her house while she works. So how many dogs do you have right now? I only have five. Oh, only. Okay. I have, yeah, I have Tony and Lola, which are mine. I have Nixon, which is Lindsay's. And then I have my cousin's dog, Trim, and her ex-husband's dog, Winston. <laughs> I know. It's like a funny little ragtag bunch. It like, really is. Yeah. Aww. But anyway, that's my weekend. How's yours? Uh, it's okay, I think. Yeah, it's like rainy and stuff, so we haven't been able to go out anywhere, really. We're meeting some friends at the park in a little bit, and my daughter's having a play date this afternoon. I'm just trying to keep my house clean. My dishwasher is broken again, so <sighs> I've just been buried in dishes, which is just just something I don't need <laughs> to add yeah, to my like, pile. Yeah. Like dishes are literally a thing that are just nonstop in your house with that many people anyway. Yeah. And I did get like paper plates and like environmentalists come at me because I know it's not great, but there's only so many dishes that I can do in a day when I'm working and uh, it's, it's not fun. So yeah, just working. That's about it. I know you started driving for skip the dishes. I did. I wanted to pick up another job because why not? 
Yeah. I mean, you're a solo parent with five kids. Yeah. So I needed to make a little bit more money and wanted to try it. And it's actually super fun. I think it's like, it's like so perfect for you because you can listen to podcasts. You're alone in your car without yeah. your kids. Yeah. You're just like scooting around town. I like am. You live it's in a small fun. town. So it's not like you're like going really far. I was thinking about that. Like I would hate it if I lived in like Calgary because... I think the delivery zone would be so much bigger. And in my town, it's like you can get from one side to the other in 10 minutes. So it's perfect. And all the restaurants are close. And so I can do lots of deliveries. I did I did a bunch yesterday afternoon and it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I don't really know like what else is going on. Well, um, we had we had Evelyn's episode uh, last week mm-hmm. and we announced that we have her notebook for sale. And we've had quite a few people already purchase them. So if you want to purchase one the the month of September, a portion of the proceeds are going towards the Team Evelyn Foundation um, to help other kiddos who've been diagnosed with cancer and families to support them. So it's been great. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So if you, I think you can go from our website or Instagram to get the link. Yeah, the the link is in our bio for on Instagram. I think though, if you just go to Etsy and type in "I did not sign up for this," it should pop up. And uh, and it seems like people are getting them really fast. Yes, they are. Yeah, that's great because it's kind of like a direct ship. Like we don't we don't have to do as much on our end. Exactly. Yeah, so I love good. that. That's good. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah. Uh, you know what else is really exciting? Tell me. I love what just like when we just partner with anybody, but last week on our Patreon, we interviewed maybe the loveliest human ever, Paul from Newton's Nuggets. Uh, amazing. I love him. And yeah, he's like a mind reader and his job and a magician and his, like, he's literally built a business out of having people hire him to break into their companies to like show some of the weak points, either digitally, physically, staffing wise everything i i described it as like a secret shopper but instead he's a secret robber (laughs) yeah he's a secret robber we're gonna have to go there and work and like do a job with him i know i love how they say that do a job i totally want to do one it'd be so fun i love that it's like ocean's 11 or like italian job that's all i think about I know. It's so funny. So we're doing a giveaway of his book, Mental Theft, and we're going to do a draw of all of our Patreon names. So if you've been thinking about joining the Patreon or you've never heard of it and you're wondering what I'm talking about, it is a monthly subscription and a and a really great way to support the work that we do. And as a thank you, we provide you with two bonus episodes every month that you will never find on the main feed. And so Paul's is just one of 37 uh, episodes that you get instant access to right away when you become a Patreon member. Mm -hmm. So on October 1st, we're going to do a draw of all of our patron family members and give away his book, a signed copy of his book. Oh, awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah, Um, I'm really excited. And he's going to send us a copy to read. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he 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 was not impressed with us in the end with our lack of security in our own lives. Yeah. So Paul, we yeah. will read your book and we will do better. <laughs> and we will report back. Yes, we will. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, let's get on to today's episode with Carrie. All right. Okay, bye. Bye.
Hello, Carrie. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good. It's like kind of like a cold Sunday today. It is cold today. Yeah. It is quite chilly. Yes. (laughs) I don't mind it though. It's been really, really hot. Yeah. I like to be warm, so I I would like it a little more. <laughs> yeah, it's like we can't seem to find a middle here, like because we all live in the same area. Yeah, like yeah. it's either it's either way 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 too hot, or it's raining and very cold. Yeah. like why can't we just have like a middle, sunny with a light breeze? The joys of living in Alberta. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. that's what it is, and yeah. it's been so smoky from the BC wildfires. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, well, we met up with, well, we like met up with you through Instagram and we just like love, love, love what you do. And so we're super stoked to have you on our show. Well, I'm super excited to be here and I've been listening to your podcast and I love the the fact that you guys interview people of different walks of life and hear what their story is. And I think there's a lot of information to be learned that way. And, yeah, uh, awesome. It's, Thank it's you really so much. interesting. Like, I just love the personal touch of it. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we dive right in? I'd love it if you could introduce yourself and tell everybody a bit about you, and then we'll get right into it. Okay. Um, so, my name is Carrie Stock. I am a childhood cancer survivor. When I was 24 years old, I started a charity that helps families who are struggling to make ends meet when their child has cancer. And wow. since then, <laughs> since then we have we're close to dispersing over a million dollars through our program over the last 12 years and it's been pretty exciting work that we get to do and we work with uh, social workers at the Alberta Children's Hospital, so that has been really nice. Yeah, it's just been, I, I feel so fulfilled doing the type of work that I get to do every day. Absolutely. That's that's really taking your kind of situation and turning it around and, and making it into something good and positive for other people. That's amazing. Yeah, I love I love that part of it. Although I totally understand that not everyone is built to do that. Not everyone can take their experience and, and do something with it. But in my case, like I've always kind of known that I wanted to do something that changed the world mm-hmm. in a way or the world around me. When I saw that there was this gap of families that aren't being helped, I just wanted to make a difference in some way. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's something that people don't really think about. I think especially here in Canada, like we have universal health care. And I think a lot of times I like my, my perception a while back was, oh, like everything's just taken care of. You don't have to worry about it. But I don't think exactly. about like losing your job or having to go from two incomes to one and yeah, parking, parking at the hospital yeah. and the meals. And like, you know, it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. We interviewed Heather, uh, who shared Evelyn's story, you know, even just talking about some of the things that insurance didn't cover that uh-huh. seemed yeah. so obvious and it really adds up. Evelyn was actually one of our cancer kids uh in oh. our program. So we know Heather really well and her family and oh, wow. have been involved wow. with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Yeah. It's gotta and- be the the hard side of it though when you lose a child. That's that's difficult. I mean for your definitely you get definitely. so close to the family and the kids, right? Definitely. I don't know how, but people always say like, oh, it must be so hard to do what you do. And yes, at times it is hard. I'm not a robot, 
But Mm -hmm. uh, in the second sense, like I'm kind of built for it. I've always had a mantra that we're there to help the journey and we can't change the ending of what it goes to. But if we can impact their journey, then that's what we're there for. And I really try and keep that in mind with every single family that we help and we meet. At times it's hard. You know, I have to re-remind myself of my mantra. And for some weird reason, I'm kind of wired this way. And I think it's from having cancer at a young age, losing a lot of friends to cancer over the years that I became friends with. And I don't know, it just kind of built me into this person that can be able to be there. And I feel very fortunate for that because I love what I get to do. That's amazing. But you definitely are right when you say that we're lucky to be in this part of the world that financially when we're going through it, you know, my cancer would have cost my mom over a million dollars if she was in a different part of the world. She accidentally like saw a bill one time when I was going through treatments and it wasn't meant to be sent to her or something. And it it just Mm -hmm. broke down the cost of everything. And partway through or whatever during the treatment, I was already at a million dollars. And that doesn't include like everything since then and the follow-up and and all that. So we're very fortunate to live in Canada. So can you tell us a bit about your story with surviving childhood cancer? Yeah, definitely. It, I feel like it really shaped me for who I am. So at 13 months old, I uh, every time my mom sat me up, I would cry. You know, being just a newborn, you can't express what's going on or that you're in pain or anything. But she'd sit me up and I would cry and cry and cry. And she took me to the children's here one time in Calgary. And they, they said, oh, she's just a cranky baby. I mean, you got to keep in mind, though, that's back in 1980s, the technology maybe wasn't as strong or you know yeah we've evolved a lot since then and it's not to say things don't get misdiagnosed now but she took me again when we were visiting family in BC and then one more time in Calgary and all three times they just said oh she's a cranky baby one day my mom uh, was changing my diaper and I my stomach like bloated out and became rock hard to the point where it was very obvious that something was wrong so she and did your were you, are you an only child or did your mom have kids before you? So I'm the oldest. I have a brother okay. who's a year behind me. So she was pregnant with my brother oh at my the time. Oh wow! Yeah. But it's not like she had another baby to compare. No, saying like, so oh, she, this could be normal. Like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Seemed. Yeah. So yeah. she was a first time mom. Yeah. She took me to the family, her family doctor, and the family doctor is like, oh you need to go to the hospital right now. I'm calling oh, you no. an ambulance from here. Oh, God. So they brought me in and not long after doing some tests, they found out that I had a cancer called Rhabdomyer sarcoma, which is a really long <laughs> word for yeah. a soft tissue tumor. And mine was in my abdomen. And back in 1980s, it was very rare, this cancer. So they... Actually, because I was so sick by the time that they caught it, and it was the size of a grapefruit in oh, my oh. abdomen. And you so were just you can, so little, eight months old. Yeah, like, yeah, I know. It's crazy that it got missed for that long. I mean, and my mom did everything she could to figure out what happened, like what was going on when I had it. But it just, it slid under the radar for whatever reason. And so, yeah, it was the size of a grapefruit in my abdomen. I was so sick that day that 
And the cancer was so rare back then. Weirdly enough, I Googled it and it presents more in males of people who are of African descent and more adults. And I'm like, oh. that is not my case at all. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think some the of opposite. the... <laughs> yeah, and I, I think some of the, yeah, exactly the opposite. And I think some of the stats have changed now. I've seen a lot of young kids come through our program with Rhabdomyer sarcoma, and of all, and a lot of them are young. And so they actually, back then, they called in a priest, read me my last rites, and told oh my mom, my you know, your daughter is not making it probably oh through, what, the, through the night. What year was this? So this was 1985. Oh my gosh, that's like, yeah. that's so Terrible. scary. And I just try to think back to like in the eighties, there just wasn't that like the treatments, the diagnostics, yeah. the like so of course I think the prognosis would be so much worse. Yeah, exactly. And my mom was just distraught because this all just happened so quick. And for some reason, I made it through the night and made it through another night and another night. And they put me on different medications. And eventually I became strong enough that I could start chemotherapy. So I did that for two and a half years. And it was very grueling. My mom told me like, it made me very, very sick. And I wasn't allowed to be exposed to anybody. People had to be very careful, like the common cold could be a huge problem. So I was very isolated. And my mom was pregnant with my brother. So partway through treatment, she gave birth to my brother. And right around this time, my mom and my dad, right before I got diagnosed with cancer, they, they separated. She said, one day she gave birth at one hospital and then drove to the children's hospital to come see me. Wow. That was, oh that was gosh. her life. Yeah. And my dad wasn't really in the, in the picture. So uh, she did a lot of it on her own. Like he, he would visit at times, but it was really a lot of it. I just remember it just being me and her through everything. It's quite interesting because I was really, really young. So at some point my memories now kick in. And replaces her words in the in the in the story of what I remember. Mm-hmm. All of it was like, you know, people have different memories of them being home or at the park with friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mine was hospital rooms and oh. being in treatment and remembering what that was like. But I still would try and you know, as I went through my journey, like it, I didn't, I I personally don't feel that my cancer journey ended until I was about seven because I I did some chemotherapy I did a lot of different surgeries and so it took a while for it to all be done but you know I still I still took time to be a kid when I could I remember hiding a can of silly string behind my back and waiting till the doctor came in and got him and (laughs) you know (laughs) fun fun little times uh But yeah, a lot of those first memories are all replaced with hospital stuff. I just, and it's not really the procedures or anything or the pain. I just remember the fun stuff or the being, always being with my mom and always feeling mm-hmm. safe. I never felt scared. I, I don't think at that time it really registered with me that I could pass away from cancer. I just always felt safe. My mom was protecting me. I just felt like I had an angel with me. And was your mom working or? So she was working when I got diagnosed and I think she was going to school part-time or two or in school or working part-time. But 
she had to quit. Obviously, she needed to be at the hospital every day with me. So now she's on unemployment or yeah. employment insurance, I think they call it. But that's not a lot of money. And especially when, and we see this a lot with our cancer families now that um, income decreases and expenses increase. So yes. things like parking passes at the hospital, that's now a new added expense every month that you didn't have to pay for before. Certain medications that aren't covered by your health plan or your work plan or Alberta Healthcare, certain procedures and things like that. So it was really, really tough on her. And it definitely took a toll on her for sure. Like I, I definitely, she has a few things that she struggles with even to this day. Like she developed fibromyalgia, which mm. hers is a shooting pain in her upper arm and shoulder. And it oh, uh, was caused by stress or a traumatic event. And it makes it hard sometimes for her to move in certain ways or pick up items. Um, yeah. And sometimes when she is stressed in her everyday life, it flares up and gets really bad. The other thing that has affected her was the uh, she has a sleeping disorder now because she I would get sick throughout the night. And so she never went through all the realms of sleep properly because oh, yeah. she was always sort of listening at the upper level for yeah. if I needed help. Um, and I did, I'd get sick all night long. So she was always up with me and she never, now she doesn't fully go into like realm sleep. Sometimes a bit of her memory can be affected or can be more tired than usual and stuff like that. And that stuff she'll live with for the rest of her life. But things that she, you know, would go, she'd go back and make the same decisions again. Absolutely. I can't even, I mean, my first thought is your mom is like a superhero because <laughs> I think to, so be a, to be a first time mom, to have a little baby who's so sick, to be pregnant, to, you know, not have a partner. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's unbelievable to me. And, you know, it's, it's amazing what she sacrificed for, you know, for your health and for your safety. And, and she kept you feeling safe the whole time when on the inside she was probably so scared. Yes. That's for amazing. sure. For sure. Um, she was such an advocate for me and I never knew anything could be like to could, could, could turn out bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So wow. I really feel like she's an angel. I really do. Yeah, We're very absolutely. close even to this day. Like, yeah. Did you know of any kind of assistance back then for your mom when it came to having a child with cancer in the hospital? So way back then, there was a program that existed but doesn't exist anymore. And she was able to get um, babysitting for my brother okay. for uh, at no cost from a government program so that someone could be with him while we were at the hospital all the time. That did help her a lot. And actually, funny enough, the babysitter who babysat my brother my mom became best friends with and still is best friends with in life to this day oh wow they've developed a very close friendship yeah oh wow (laughs) yeah so I mean that was one good thing that turned out but yeah that program doesn't exist anymore I don't know why I couldn't imagine juggling a newborn baby in a hospital with a child who's sick from cancer I mean that's just unimaginable well, even yeah. we talked to, I don't know if you heard Maddie's story, but Allison talked about having a newborn baby. I think he was 
three months old when Maddie had to move to Hospice. palliative care. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. just the programs and services now available must be so much more enhanced than yeah. what people like your mom had access to. Totally. And there's still a lot of work to do there. It's not a perfect system yet. I don't know. I, this could be wrong, but my feelings is like the government provides less and less funding for things. And that's when charities have kind of stepped in to fill some of those gaps. Yeah. Um, that's just my personal take on the matter, but there are things, but it definitely as a whole, I think could be improved, you know, but it's all about all things cost money. So yeah. absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so do you remember, so after you were going, how long did you do chemo for? I did chemo for two and a half years. And that's where the story is kind of takes a weird turn because back then the protocol was for three years for the type of cancer that I had. But my mom had said I was so sick, like so, so sick that she met with my doctors and said, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but I'm her mom. And I really feel that the chemotherapy is killing her faster than the cancer is. Like she's on the verge of death here. You can see it. And she said, I really think you guys need to consider pulling her off the chemotherapy treatments. Uh, It took a lot for her to to basically tell doctors, you know, I I think you guys should be doing this. Because she also could come with the weight of that decision could be detrimental. In this case, the doctors agreed with her and said, yeah, we think you're right. We're going to pull her off treatment. So they did that. And then I, they went in and surgically removed the tumor after that. From there, there was kind of um, a lot of surgeries that happened after that, just kind of getting everything back in place. And it took until I was seven to completely be done. I was in and out of the hospital kind of until that time. And um, they actually did a surgery on me that had only been performed two other times in the world. So I'm the third person who's ever had this particular surgery. And I was the first child in Canada. So they actually flew us to the Toronto hospital, the sick kids, to stay there to kind of work things out. But yeah. Wow. Gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. So when everything was said and done, like it was, it's been good. Like my health has been good since then. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I do have problems with my kidneys because They were in the shooting range of where cancer was. So I have some scar tissue that has built up on my kidneys and they don't quite function at 100%. They actually function at about 50% function level, which is still okay. How does that impact your day-to-day life? Well, I I sometimes get kidney infections and so that's been uh, tough because I get pretty sick when I get those and Mm -hmm. I'm kind of in and out of the hospital as we're dealing with them. And then a little over... Five or six years ago, I had some cysts that were growing on both of my kidneys. And on one kidney in particular, it was really bad to the point where it was impeding its function. So it was actually not filtering out everything to the urine. And it was actually making it hard for the other kidney to do its job. So it was actually kind of also a crazy story because I went in and I I had been sick, like getting really sick for a couple of years and I was like okay I know something's up I brought my mom to the appointment with me and they misdiagnosed me and that's kind of its own crazy story because the doctor who had done this surgery for me so many years ago that I looked up to was the one who misdiagnosed me and told 
me and my mom that day in his office after looking at my tests, some of my tests, and said, oh, she has cancer again. He just oh, looked at God. it and thought it looked similar and jumped the gun and basically said, yeah, Carrie has cancer again. I remember having to call my husband who was at work and tell him, you know, they say I have cancer again. But I, what was weird about this one is I felt a deep gut feeling and I don't get those very often. So it was mm-hmm. kind of nice that I got one, that it wasn't cancer. And so I said, he, they're saying it's cancer, but I don't think it's cancer. They have to do a biopsy to find, find out more. So when they did the biopsy, it came back non-cancerous. That was a big relief. And I knew it. I just knew it. And yeah. I think the doctor really jumped the gun by, say, by saying that to us. I think he should have waited till he had more information. He's now retired. He was getting pretty old by the time that I'd seen him. Like, he was getting to that retiring age. It was really hard on me because I really looked up to him when I was younger. And then for him to make such a, a big mistake in my eyes that... Mm-hmm my mom called our family and told them it's back and Uh. I was admitted that day and so the long story short was they ended up removing my right kidney so that the left one can work better and now I'm at the point where I feel pretty good I still have cysts on the other one but they aren't really growing or if they are it's such a minimal amount that it's not affecting me Um, I still get my kidney infections every once in a while that kind of take me out for a few days and uh, I feel like garbage, but then I bounce right back. And, you know, I'm very grateful that this is all that's left out of it. Like, if you saw me in person, you would never know, oh, this person, you know, had cancer and went through a huge battle. Yeah. So I feel very fortunate. And I'll take this any day of the week if that's what it is. My one kitty that's left, it's going to be watched very carefully. And if it ever drops down where that cyst comes too big and causes problems or the kidney function from the scar tissue of having cancer and getting kidney infections now, if it ever becomes more of a problem, the thing of going on dialysis and then a transplant will will be an option that we'll have to go through. Yeah. Has that always felt... I get like, I guess you can't speak for what it's like to not grow up like this because this is your only reality, but what's it been like growing up? Do you always feel like you're on the cusp of getting news that you're sick or? Not really that, but my body like reacts really weirdly and I get all these kind of weird ailments that were like, oh yeah, like no one has this happen to them and then it will happen to me. You know what I mean? At the same time, I think I'm thankful my body has brought me through all this. Like, yeah. I can look at the fact, like, I have tons, I have tons of things that I deal with. Like, you know, I had to get implants for my teeth because not all of them, but six of them because uh, when I was on chemotherapy, it wore down uh, the enamel on my teeth, and then oh. I was more susceptible to cavities. And you know, I wear glasses, not a big deal, but and just like. But then I look at my husband, he's never had health concerns or anything like that in his life. But he's just like, and then I need, I wear hearing aids because the certain chemos change, like make it harder for me to hear. And it in fact, my impacted my hearing. So it's just like, (laughs) I have all the things and my husband has none of them. And I (laughs) I use his health benefits at work for all my stuff. (laughs) 
it's funny. (laughs) I find that so interesting because you don't think about, again, I think people think, oh, you had cancer and you either pass away or you beat it and you're fine and life goes on. But I don't think that a lot of people really factor in all of the lifelong things that you might have to deal with as a result of. Oh, for sure. And like my best friend, he went through cancer and a two-time cancer survivor, and he deals with daily migraines that are debilitating to the point where he cannot work. Sometimes he can't even get up to walk himself to the bathroom or eat something. And I mean, people would never know um, unless we told them, you know, that there are these lifelong things that we deal with. But then I mean, in my case, I, I'm very thankful. I feel like mine are very minimal. They don't pack, impact my day-to-day. So I just feel very lucky. And what was it like for your little brother? Was he like a healthy, typical? He was, yeah. And you know what's weird with kids' cancer is some some adults' cancers, they can trace to certain things. But with kids' cancers, they don't know why their body does what it does, like why it creates the cancer. And so mine was just like, the the way that they explained it to my mom in the hospital is when I was growing, your cells split and divide into two, but one of mine split and divided into three. And so that third one ended up being the cancerous one. And then that kept dividing. Like they just, they really don't know why, why a little kid would would get cancer and for my brother he was very yeah he's healthy like I mentioned he was passed along with babysitters or family members who would watch him yeah we're we're very close to this day and I'm very lucky that he turned out to be such an awesome human (laughs) absolutely so So how did your um kind of organization come about how did it start and how long has it been going on for So in high school, I was really quiet about having cancer and stuff. I got bullied in school about um, having cancer and people thought they could, their kid could get cancer or their their child thought they could get cancer. And so I kept it really quiet. Like in the beginning, you know, I did try and tell some friends that I had at school, but it quickly got out of hand and like rumors started or whatever. And so um, as I changed schools, I just never told anybody because I just didn't want to be back in that position again. My family moved, which is why I switched schools. So oh, okay. um, in middle school and high school, I I hid a lot of that. Or I would maybe tell my friends, oh, yeah, I used to have cancer, but I don't tell them with what I was dealing with now. It wasn't until after high school, like kind of in high school and after high school, I started volunteering with a lot of different organizations Um, different charities that dealt with cancer and went to different conferences and raised money and uh, became involved in a young adult group that um, had like-minded cancer survivors who also wanted to make a difference and uh, was in that program for a while. And I just, I, I learned a lot from volunteering for these different charities and being a part of these different groups at the time. And I developed some lifelong friendships where I met survivors and friends. And I went to cancer camp a lot when I was younger. So a lot of my friendships came from that. I always felt like um, once all that stuff sort of came to an end with that group, I just, I felt like I wanted to still, I was meant to do something in the world. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading an article in People magazine, which is kind of really random. And it was (laughs) hero of the month or something. And it was 
a story about this lady. She started a charity. It's now been renamed, but at the time it was called the Andre River of Life Foundation. Her son had not survived cancer, and it was so difficult for their family. The husband ended up, like, burying, because they buried a child, ended up taking his own life not long, like, after the son passed away. I don't know what all the circumstances were, but she w- she received some money for from the passing or something. I don't know if it was insurance or how that worked. But then she invested that money and she used uh, the money investment and she would help families financially to pay bills. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I wish someone was there because when my mom, finan- like, financially when my mom went through it like she explained how hard it was at times to make ends meet you know deciding which bills you'll pay or begging you know electricity not to be cut off or her her having twenty dollars and having to buy enough groceries to feed us for a week I know the financial side was so difficult for her being a single mom and being on welfare it just it didn't really cover enough it doesn't cover enough she just really really struggled so when I read this article it was like this light bulb just lit up in my head and I'm like we need this here in Canada like this was it's from someone in the states there is nobody supporting families financially and I did my research and I talked to the social workers at the hospital and I said I think I want to bring this program to Calgary. I want I want to start a program that helps families financially. So we had to work out what that would look like. And I at 23 years old, actually before I got married, I I said to my husband, I think I want to start a nonprofit, like a, a charity that helps families with cancer. So I think before you marry me, you need to know I'm not getting into any kind of no wealth is coming my way. Like, I hope you're okay (laughs) with not being millionaires because if, if that's really a a goal of yours in life to have the fine things and, you know, big house and cars, like you're going to have to make that happen for yourself. I'm out. (laughs) And he, he of course was like, no, definitely. I support you. So I applied to get a charitable status and I was very diligent and uh, like it takes a long time to get a charitable status in Calgary or in Canada, sorry. So I really stayed on the ball as far as like keeping on top of all the paperwork. I, I got really smart with it because they used to mail out, I think they still do, like when they have questions about what you submitted. And as soon as I got that letter, I would have an answer back to them. But instead of mailing it, I'd fax it. And so I was always on top of their desk. Like, you know, they would always have their answer within 24 hours. So I would kind of work through the different questions that they had. And being a charity is a whole other feat because you're kind of having to predict what your charity will be like before you do it. Right. Yeah. And you kind of don't know how it all falls into place. And so I actually met with, um, I called and talked to the mom of the Andre River of Life Foundation. They're now renamed to Compassion Can't Wait. And I talked to her and I said, like, look, I'm not your competition. I'm in Canada. I just would love like an hour or two of your time just to ask questions. Like, why invent a wheel that you already have in motion? So I sat there on the phone and I picked her brain. And I'm so grateful she allowed me to do that because 
I found out what worked, what didn't work. How did you set this up for this? Or what did you do for that? How do you problem solve this kind of question? How did you, how do you pay these kind of bills? And although we didn't do exactly everything that they do to a T, it helped give me experience that I wouldn't have, I would have had like all the, all the spots where they fell short or struggled through, you know, it was, it was easier that I had advice. And um, so I'm very thankful that she, she met with, talked to me that day because it really gave me some good answers to questions that would have been really hard for us to figure out or have experienced a lot of growing pain while we figured those out. And it's not to say that the charity doesn't experience growing pain. Definitely. (laughs) So at 23 years old, I started this nonprofit and now we are helping families and we, we help roughly, we process about 250 to 300 applications a year from families and so they're all social workers at the Alberta Children's Hospital that send us these applications in it is a lot of the story about the family you know like their basic details their situation and their diagnosis and um and then included in that is the bill that the family is struggling to pay for we cover things like rent gas groceries parking passes is one of the big ones uh, groceries or gas going to and from the hospital mm-hmm. and every family is slightly different in what we support them with because not every family that has cancer needs financial support some right. families are you know they are well off in life and they don't need access to the program but we really go to help the families who are really struggling kind of at the bottom and just mm-hmm. try and support them through our program and so Sometimes it's one like a one-time ask as a transitional thing to get them to and from different phases of their journey, or sometimes mm-hmm. it's ongoing support depending on what the family's going through. Where is it today? How many people are you helping? And where do you see it going in the next two to five years? That's such a crazy question because my answer is, where do I see it going in two to five years? I'm not sure. We know we will still have a program. There will always be a place there um, at the at the Alberta Children's Hospital. It's a matter of now we're wondering, should we expand? Should we grow our reach? So right now we're helping cancer kids and their families. But now we're starting to entertain questions like there are so many families who have long-term illnesses that might not be cancer so do Mm -hmm. we want to expand to be a children's overall charity and help families who have like kids that have big medical issues who are in the in the system for a long time yeah um, for many years not just like going in for a broken arm we're talking like you know big life-changing illnesses or should we expand across Canada and help help cancer kids in different, like have a helping families in different parts of Canada where there is an Alberta children or where there is a children's hospital. So we're, our board is currently trying to come up with a strategic plan. We're doing some planning and researching and kind of figuring out where things are going to take us. But right now our program in Calgary is so solid. Like 
uh, I think we've over we've helped just over 1400 families since we started. And as I told you earlier, we're close to giving out over a million dollars. I think we're at the 900,000 some odd um, money dispersed to, to cancer families and their, their kids. Wow, that's amazing. That's so yeah. incredible. And one thing I love about our program is we don't actually like, so if you, let's say, had a child who had cancer, we don't just cut you a check. It's not like, oh, here you go. Like, here's a check. We actually yeah. pay the bill at the institution in which it's owed. So if it is uh, medication or medical supplies, we put in a billing letter to that pharmacy and they bill us directly. If it's a parking pass, we pay and get that parking pass from Alberta Health Services directly. If it's rent because a family's child just passed away and they need some time to grieve, we'll pay the landlord. So we always know that the money is going exactly where we intended. And that's one reason why I, I... just think that this program is so awesome and I'm totally yeah. biased by that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as you should be, that's really, that's really incredible. And so what's the best way if people are listening to this for the folks who are in Alberta and maybe want to donate specifically to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Or if they want to just help out? Yeah. So you can visit our website at www.helpingfamilieshandlecancer.com, but there are tons of ways to help out. You can become a volunteer, you can make a donation, you can hook us up with a friend or family member or your place of business that might want to make an in-kind donation for an event we're having, or maybe you know of a company that might want to sponsor an event that we're having, Mm -hmm. or you might belong to a group or a business that gives out money to charities. So by making us aware of the grant and we can walk like through the paperwork, but there are a lot of word of mouth referrals that come from grants where, because a lot of businesses like to donate where their employees to organizations that their employees care about. Yeah. And so sometimes people like I had a a friend that I went to high school with and she goes, Hey, I work at this company. Um, they have a grant application. Can you help me fill it out? I'm like, sure. She sent it to me. I filled it out. She submitted it and we got a grant that went towards our care program. So amazing. So that's another way that people can help or if they know of a golf tournament or a fundraiser or an event that's looking for a new charity to sponsor, um, that's another way. But yeah, there's there's lots of different ways to get involved. You can come volunteer with us. We're always busy here, so there's always something to do. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's really great. And I think it's always so wonderful to give people a variety of ways that they can help depending on what their capacity to give is, whether Mm. it's time or resources or just connecting people that might might want or be able to help out. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you may not be in the financial position to help out directly, but maybe you know someone who does or have, have a friend who you know, donates to a lot of their company donates to a lot of charities and you want to put our, throw our name in the hat and see if it yeah. can get picked up. The other thing is, is to come out to one of our fundraising events. We, before the pandemic and now once things kind of resume here next year, we're hoping to have one of our annual events, which is a art exhibit that we host. So it's, we have about a hundred artists that donate an art piece. And then we um, it's not a silent auction, but more like an art exhibit and sales. So there's a price and there's a bio about the artist. And then we sell the artwork and we raise money for our cancer kids. 
So come out to one of our art exhibits and come have some food and a glass of wine and see cool art. It's not like a snooty, like, oh, what do you see in this picture? <laughs> like, it's it's actually like a great community of people. And we always have two of two uh, cancer families who speak at the event every year. One of them was Evelyn Roy before her, or oh. Heather Roy before her daughter Evelyn uh, passed away. She spoke at our art exhibit that fall. And then her daughter passed away like some months later. Wow, that's so amazing. I like I don't know you, but I'm so proud of you. Absolutely. That's just incredible. What a great accomplishment. And it's just such like I said before, it's just such an incredible way to take something that you've been through and turn it around and just help countless other people. We have had friends that have experienced loss of their children or that their children have been given cancer. And to think about those little things that you don't think about, the parking passes, yeah. the, you know, food gift cards, things like that. It's so obvious, but it it really is just something that you don't think about that they're needing. And yeah. it's it's so important to have, you know, places like you that can provide that for them. And then we can give you a platform to share that so other people can, yeah. can help. Yeah. yeah. And that's so exciting. Like this is the first podcast I've ever done. And I just, I, I loved what you guys, the stories that you guys share. And I think that they're so important. So I definitely wanted to reach out. And in regards to um, things that people don't think about, Evelyn once said, uh, or sorry, Heather once said it best about her time in the hospital with Evelyn. And she said, sometimes getting a parking pass, it's not just about the, it is about the financial impact, but it's, it's not, it's one less thing that that parent has to worry about. Yes. So she says like, when you're in a, when you go for, to the hospital for a checkup or something that you think is going to be quick, you don't have to run to the time meter to put more money in the thing and keep your eye on the clock. And it's just one less ball that you're juggling in the air. And she said, and sometimes that day she could use the money to buy a much needed coffee that she needs to, to get her through the day. And Absolutely. I was like, that is such a good point. Like you just yeah. don't, and sometimes just knowing that someone is there and that people care, that mm-hmm. people care, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's so, yeah. it's, it's so impactful. And I just, yes. I really wish something existed like this for my mom. Mm-hmm. And so now when I get applications, I really view it as, you know, I want to treat them the way I wish someone would have treated my mom oh. and kind of, help support them through it and you know I feel very blessed to be able to do the work that I do like and yeah it's kind of crazy because I I knew I wanted to do something but I never knew that this was it and I had a very promising job taking over my mom's family business you know we're proud of me that I stepped out from underneath that and decided to go a different way and to do this but I just I look back and it's kind of crazy to think of everything that's been accomplished so far and all the dreams we have for the future yeah. and just to make more of a difference. I think, yeah, it's really exciting. That's amazing. Well, we'll make sure to link all of this info in our show notes. We'll put it on social media and tag you in it. Awesome. Yeah. This episode will come out in September, which is childhood cancer awareness month, obviously. You know. Oh, that's so perfect. I was <laughs> yeah. wondering about that. We have Heather and Evelyn's story the week before that. So awesome. So I think, well, they, yeah, it'll, they are such a, oh, I just love that family so much. We actually we'll have, did a, a fundraiser with them that blew up and it was about parking passes uh, on the one year anniversary of her daughter's passing. Oh, she wanted wow. to provide a hundred parking passes 
for families for our charity through the program. So she asked for her supporters to step up to the plate. I'm, I'm like going to cry as I say this, but uh. they funded 447 passes. Oh my gosh. And it was just something that was like super exciting for her to be able to wake up on that morning and just that whole week leading up instead of it being dread, it was such, it's, don't get me wrong there, you know, she definitely struggled, but yeah, it was, it was a little lighter, just a little lighter, you know, and she was so excited every time we're just like smashed out a new goal and raised the amount of parking passes that we were funding. It was just like, I think we had a hundred parking passes funded in the first 24 hours of releasing the one week challenge to get to that day where she could wake up and have such good news. Oh and gosh. so we'll, we'll definitely be doing that fundraiser again in the in the spring. Yeah. Oh, and there's one other That's way incredible. that people can help support, which is to follow us on social media, because mm-hmm. it's not just about a number. It's like people get to hear about what we do and what, what is upcoming. But a lot of the time when we're writing grants or funds from corporations and stuff, they want to know that you have a big social media following. So even just giving us a follow is just like, it helps, that helps the charity. Yeah. And that's something people can share us with your friends. Two seconds. Yeah. 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 Two seconds. And it makes all the difference to us, you know? That's so great. Well, thank you so much for taking time on your weekend to. I know people in nonprofit don't really ever get weekends, so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but we really appreciate it. You guys, the work you do is really important and we're so happy to, to help spread the message. Thank you. Every chance I get to help spread the message, I will always do. So absolutely, you know, doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to me if it's day or night or four o'clock in the morning, I'm taking your phone call. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Thanks, ladies. I really awesome. appreciate it. Of course. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. You guys too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. How sweet is Carrie? I know. She's so sweet. We have another person to add to the list of people we need to meet in real life. And she's yeah, local. And our list so. of, yeah. Our list of local people is growing, which is nice because we are more likely to be able to see them sooner yeah, than later. Uh-huh. She's doing amazing work for the community. Yeah. I love that. Me too. So much. What else was I going to say? We have some like really exciting things coming up. Tell me. We are just booked solid with interviews with yes. really incredible people. And we just slid in another interview that's going to come out around Halloween, which I'm really excited about. One of a girl that I've known for a long time uh, reached out and offered. So she is a medium and intuitive and I'm forgetting all the words, but basically she does readings and it's so cool. And she offered to do a reading for me and you. I know. I'm so scared. <laughs> I know. I did mine last night and it was so good. Ah, I'm it was so, so nervous. Good. It w- yeah. I'm going to, I'll be there with you. Yeah. It'll, it'll be okay. I'll like have a couple drinks. Uh, <laughs> it was really, really good. So we're going to interview her as one of our two Halloween specials this year. I know that's so So exciting. I feel like, I know we're only in the middle of September, but Everybody should get excited for the week before Halloween. We're interviewing somebody who's a paranormal investigator. And that's scary. And that then, is so scary. <laughs> I'm like already scared. And then the week after, we're going to have my friend and she's going to give it, do a little giveaway of her readings. That's amazing. 
So stay tuned for that. And I don't know, we're up to so much stuff with the Evelyn Notebook. What? <laughs> <We're> up- <laughs> we are up to so much stuff like the Evelyn Notebook and just all the organizations that people talk about as well as our own projects and ways to support us. So I think people should really, if they haven't already, follow us on Instagram is the big mm-hmm. one. But also check out like our TikTok, our Patreon, our Facebook. I wanted to say something um, that we are trying to align a lot of our months with, you know, childhood cancer month and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we we try to post a lot of things that are you know, we just posted some things for the National Suicide Prevention Day. So if you guys have an organization or have a cause that you know about that's coming up, you know, it's that month or that day, reach out to us and we can do a post or we can do an interview and try to line it up with the month that it's supposed to be in. Yeah. Well, anyway, you're going to go do some play dates. Yeah. And I am going to walk these five dogs. Okay. And Sounds fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Okay. Bye. (laughs) Bye.